everyone. This is Adam Bergman, founder and CEO of Irie Financial. Welcome to another episode of AdBits, where I will be sharing bits of knowledge about self-directed retirement. If you want to learn more, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on social media. Just search IRA Financial. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of AdBits. I'm Adam Bergman, tax attorney and founder of IRA Financial. And on today's episode, I want to talk about the solo 401k prohibited transaction rules. So these are the most important things you need to worry about when it comes to making solo 401k investments. Why? Because if you do a prohibited transaction or a category of disallowed investments, i.e. collectibles, then your transaction will be disrupted and subject to tax and penalties that can travel as high as 15 to 100%. So it's super important that you understand the prohibited transaction rules. The good news is they're fairly easy to understand. Okay, if you understand the basic premise and their basic context, you're not going to get into any trouble. I promise. So what is the foundation of the prohibited transaction rules? Well, the foundation is this. The IRS does not want you to do anything with your 401k that in any way, directly or indirectly, personally, benefits you or a disqualified person which I will define in a minute. Now, the whole foundation of these rules is based on the concept that, hey, if you need to take money out of your 401k plan, then pay tax. And if you're under 59 and a half, you may have to pay penalty. We need to protect those rules because there's trillions of dollars of pre-tax money in a retirement plan like the 401k. And if we just let people gift those funds and retrospect to friends, family, and the like, then they will deplete their 401k plan and have nothing left when the time comes to pay require minimum distributions, which are due at the age of 72. So it's important that they make sure they know the value of your assets. And that's why they require you to file a 5,500. If it's over 250,000 in your solo plan, a 5,500 easy. And they also want to make sure that you keep your assets in the plan and you're only making investments to exclusively 100% to benefit your 401k. So that's the concept, right? Whatever you do with your 401k, it needs to 100% exclusively benefit the 401k. So that means if you buy Tesla stock with your 401k and it goes up 100%, you're not a dollar richer. Your 401k is richer, but that money is not in your pocket. So technically you can't use that money to buy a car or a house or even a cup of coffee. The money is in the 401k. In order to tap into that money and use it for personal purposes, you're going to need to take a distribution, which if it's a pre-tax 401k, you would owe tax and maybe even a penalty. So those rules are super important. There's $500 billion of rollovers each year. There's $32 trillion of retirement funds. So the IRS, Treasury, they need to make sure that these rules are followed and respected because they count on those funds to pay for government programs via taxes. 
like roads and infrastructure and social security and all that good stuff, military. So super important to them. So in the crux of it all, there's two things to remember. Number one, exclusive benefit. Whenever you do something, it has to only benefit your 401k and it can't benefit you or a disqualified person. A disqualified person is essentially you as the fiduciary of the plan of your account, as well as any lineal descendant, parent, child, spouse, daughter-in-law, son-in-law, any entities you own 50% or more of, okay, and or any trust you're a beneficiary of, more than 50% of, or any 10% owner, officer, director, or highly competent employee of a company or entity your 401k owns more than 50% of. Okay, this found under 4975E2, and that's where you can get the definition of a disqualified person. So in order to do a prohibited transaction, on one hand, you need a retirement account, an IRA, a 401k. In the other hand, you need a disqualified person. If you don't have those two, you're likely not going to engage in a prohibited transaction. So if you just remember overall context of this podcast, make sure the investment's being done to exclusively benefit the 401k. Make sure there's no disqualified person on the other end of that transaction, you're going to be fine. So there's two sections to be concerned with when you talk about prohibited types of investments. Number one is section 408M as in Michael. And for a 401k, it says you cannot do any investment that's a collectible, like art, baseball cards. There's a special carve out for precious metals, pure bullion, 99% pure bullion. Uh, could be bars, could be American Eagle statemented and bullion coins. Those all need to be held physically in the possession of a trustee, a U.S. depository or bank. Can't hold them at home. Okay, so there's a carve out for metals. They are not deemed collectibles. IRAs cannot buy life insurance. 401ks technically can, so long as your plan allows for it. Now the big area of prohibited transactions is found under section 4975. And in 4975, there's A, B, C, D, E, and F. And we're going to go through all those real quick. And then we're going to talk about a couple cases that I think best explain the application of the prohibited transaction rules. So let's start with A, 4975 C1A. And these are pretty basic stuff, uh, not much um, details needed. The direct or indirect sale exchange or leasing a property between a plan and a disqualified person. So example, you know, Joe sells his interest in a piece of property to his son, right? That's a prohibited transaction. You have a disqualified person, child, and you have a 401k. B, the direct or indirect lending of money or extension of credit between a 401k and a disqualified person. Ted lends his wife money from his 401k. Now, the one exemption to this is the 401k loan. You can borrow the lesser of $50,000 or 50% of your account value, whatever's less, so long as your 401k offers loan features and use that for any purpose. You are capped at that 50,000 or 50% limitation, but you could use those funds for any purpose, including taking money out to buy a car, to go on vacation, whatever you want. There's no requirement. You just need to pay that loan back over five years, at least quarterly, a stated interest of prime as per the Wall Street Journal, which as of June, 2021 is 3.25%. And if interest rates lows, stay low for the next little while, it will probably hover around that mark. Let's go to C, the direct or, end, or indirect furnishing of goods, services, or facilities between a 401k and a disqualified person. So for example, Rachel buys a condo with her 401k and then personally fixes it up, right? You're providing services 
to your 401k owned asset. So there's, there is in the treasury regulations, you're allowed to provide services that are reasonable and necessary, like hiring a lawyer, hiring a real estate attorney, right? Hiring an accountant, um, deciding what stocks to buy, right? Deciding what real estate to buy. That's reasonable and necessary, but you can't and should not do anything that's not reasonable and necessary, like fixing the roof, like doing yard work. Um, you should outsource that to a non-disqualified third party, especially in the real estate world. It's best to have a property manager, someone to take care, whether it's an Airbnb or a fix and flip, have contract or have someone do all the active work. Do, do not do any of the active work. The passive necessary work you can do, um, but you just should stick to the premise that less is always better. D, and these are all now D, E, and F are more the catch-alls. The direct or indirect transfer of a disqualified to a disqualified person of income or assets of the plan. So Ken is a financial jam and takes 30 grand from his 401k to pay a personal debt. So that's a direct transfer to a disqualified person of the assets of a 401k. Okay, pretty simple stuff. Uh, let's go to E. Okay, the direct or indirect act by a disqualified person who's a fiduciary whereby he or she deals with the income or assets of the plan for his or her own interest. So Deborah is a real estate agent and uses the 401k to buy a piece of property and then earns a commission from the sale. So here you have a direct or indirect act where potentially Deborah is doing something with her 401k to earn herself a personal interest, i.e. the commission on the real estate sale. Okay, again, keep in mind, the exclusive benefit needs to be derived by the 401k. There cannot be any indirect benefit to you or a disqualified person. And the commission on a real estate sale is a great example. Yes, your 401k will benefit, hopefully, if you buy a piece of property in the plan and it goes up. However, you're still technically benefiting as well personally because you're getting commission from that sale. So again, in that case, make sure you have a non-disqualified person take care of uh, the service. Now, F, receipt of any consideration by a disqualified person who is a fiduciary for his or her own account from any party dealing with the plan in connection with a transaction involving income or assets of the plan. So kind of the same idea. Jason uses his 401k to loan money to a company in which he manages and controls but owns a small ownership interest, right? So he's receiving some consideration as a disqualified person of an entity um, from plan assets. And again, that's kind of a catch-all. Now, I want to mention this case because I think this case, and I, I, if you're a client or you've spoken to me in the past, you've probably heard me talk about Rollins v. Commissioner. It's a tax court case, TC Memo 2004-60. And I think this really gives you a good insight as to what the IRS and, and the tax court ultimately is looking at when it comes to deciding if you engage in a prohibitive transaction. So this guy Rollins is an accountant. He was an accountant. He owned a CPA firm. He owned a bunch of businesses, not more, he owned between nine and 33%. So never more than 50%, right? So if you look at 4975C1A, B, C, and D, and you look at the 4975E2, you would say, okay, he's, he's a disqualified person. It's his 401k, but the entities aren't disqualified. He owns less than 50%. So on its face, it looks kosher. It looks okay. The entities are not disqualified. Then remember I said, D, E, and F are more the catch-alls. And what happened, and this is a really important fact, is that the companies needed money. So then Rollins took his 401k and lent the money to the company at regular interest rates. And somehow the IRS got wind of this uh, through audit 
uh, probably audited uh, Mr. Rollins' tax return or the company return. And they saw this and said, hey, this doesn't look good. You lent your money from your 401k to a business you're involved in. And he said, well, I own less than 50%. I'm not even an employee. I'm a director, but I'm not even an employee of this business. And again, it's not prohibited on its face. I own less than 50%. And the IRS disagreed, and I guess they couldn't settle. So it went to tax court. And interesting enough, the tax court agreed with the IRS. And they were pretty simple in their explanation. And they said, Rollins, he had the burden of proof. And he could not prove that the 401k loan did not in any way personally benefit him. Clearly, yes, he owned less than 50%, but he was still indirectly benefiting from that loan. Why? The company needed the money. And I think that was the, the important factor. If the company had 100 potential investors, it was a unicorn or it was at a $50 million valuation and there was 15 venture capital firms out there that were looking to invest, the facts would be different. And I think the tax court would probably come out with a different conclusion. But because the facts and the circumstances were such that the company needed the money, and then the idea was that, hey, Rollins lent the money from his 401k, not because it was a good investment for his 401k, but because it was going to help him out personally. And I think, I just really think this case does a superb job of explaining to people the importance of exclusive benefit. And again, the burden lies on you, the taxpayer, to prove that you're not in any way indirectly benefiting. So clearly, if you're not, if you're investing your IRA in a, in a piece of property and you're lending it or, or flipping it to a third party, it's hard to argue any self-dealing, right? But if you're renting it out to someone like your child, well, there you got a direct issue, right? Again, what happens if you're the real estate agent? Again, indirect issue on the primitive transaction side because hard to argue that you're doing the investment for exclusively to benefit your plan if you're going to receive some commission personally. Same goes with investing in an entity that you potentially own less than 50%. If it's a largely widely held company, obviously like a publicly traded company, or even a company with 50, 60 shareholders, it's going to be harder for the tax court to, or the IRS to make that argument. If it's a closely held company with two or three shareholders, easier to make that argument, right? Even if you're under the 50%, because it's, it's closely held, it's harder for you to argue that there's no personal benefit. Again, you can flip the switch and say, hey, there's 50 investors out there that would invest. I just did this investment with my 401k because it was a great opportunity to invest in a startup with huge upside, huge potential that could become a unicorn and be worth a billion dollars. So it was a great opportunity. That's why I did it. And if the facts suggest that, then you would, I think, be successful in that argument. Although, again, if the facts are different and you need the money and there is a reason why your 401k is making the investment outside of just benefiting the 401k, you're going to have some issues. Now, uh, again, it's all facts and circumstances. Whether you ask me or uh, a lawyer who will charge you $5,000 an hour at the best law firm in New York City, a lot of this is gray, right? The indirect stuff is gray. Clearly, if you give money to your kid or rent a house to your kid, clearly that's prohibited. Anyone can tell you that. You don't need to hire a lawyer. But the gray stuff, like I have a lot of clients in the investment world, hedge fund, private equity, venture capital, and they want to come in potentially as an LP. 
Um, yeah, they, they control the GP, but they're only going to own a little bit of the LP interest, the limited partnership interest. Can they do it? You know, and there's, there's times they could and there's times they, they shouldn't. Same with the carry. Can you shift the carry to maybe uh, a Roth? There's potential opportunities there, but you have to, again, be concerned about valuation and also about 49.75 and the prohibited transaction rule. So without confusing you more, uh, again, just keep the Rollins case in your mind. When you're doing an investment, think about this. Is if the IRS knocks on my door today and says, hey, Adam, you made this investment with your IRA or 401k. Prove to me that the exclusive benefit is being derived by the retirement plan. If you could, without hesitation, make that case, then do the deal. If you don't think you can and you're going to have to double talk and backdate documents and stuff like that, don't do it. If you're a client of IRA Financial, call us. We have a great compliance team. We will go through and talk to you, uh, pull up case law, uh, go through the code with you and try to explain to you what some of the risks are. Um, and that's the best we can do. I mean, a lot of this is a gray area. It's based off facts and circumstances. What may be a good transaction for you may turn out to be prohibited for your neighbor, right? It's all based off the facts and circumstances. But if you keep in mind, don't do collectibles, don't do any direct prohibited transactions where you're service or money is being transferred to a disqualified person. If you own less than 50% of an entity um, and you're going to invest using your retirement account, think about Rollins, think about, think about those factors, think about the concept of indirect benefit uh, or exclusive benefit to the retirement plan. And I think if you keep those things in your mind, you're going to stay away from the prohibited transaction um, problems and you're, you're not going to have any issues with the IRS um, and you're going to be able to invest safely and hopefully um, take advantage of the power of the self-directed retirement structures and invest in assets uh, you know and trust in the alternative asset world and hopefully do super well in your investment. So there you go. That is in a nutshell, the solo 401k Prohibited transaction rules. I uh, hope you enjoyed the podcast. Um, I certainly did. A lot of fun. I uh, enjoyed doing this stuff. Uh, every Tuesday, you can uh, download AdBits. Don't forget to also check out Adam Talks, which is a alternative look at the retirement world. And also AdMail, where I go through three of the best client questions of the week, which drops every Thursday. And you can pick up all these podcasts wherever you listen to your podcasts uh, or even on our YouTube channel at IRA Financial. So there you go. Uh, stay safe, uh, stay strong, and talk to everyone again next week.